Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and today my conversation partner is Josh Chatrow. Uh, he is the director of the Center for Public Christianity and the theologian in residence at Holy Trinity Anglican Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. He's the co-author of a book, Apologetics at the Cross, which was the way I first became introduced to him. But he has a fairly recent book called Telling a Better Story, How to Talk About God in a Skeptical Age. So that's the question that matters today. How do we talk about God in a skeptical age? Josh, welcome to Questions That Matter. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I first uh, got familiar with your book, Apologetics at the Cross, because it was recommended so highly in a number of places, an endorsement from Tim Keller. And uh, I read it and devoured it and loved it. I use it as a resource for evangelism courses that I teach. But quite a few times during that book, I thought, oh, this is really, really great stuff. And it's really insightful about how our world has changed today and therefore how evangelism and apologetics needs to change today. And I thought, um, I, I hope they write... Um, a, a shorter, more accessible book, and then, ta-da, here it is, telling a better story. So um, I realize that the way I just said that could sound insulting. I really hope it isn't. Um, both books are really, really helpful, but in, in a sense, they're like for different audiences. Um, but let me back up a little bit. Tell us about this Center for Public Christianity, because it's, if I understand it, it's, it's tied very closely to a local church, and yet it is a larger uh, training ministry. Tell us a little bit about that center. Yeah, well, the center started really with a vision of three local churches in downtown Raleigh who were looking to train emerging leaders. Uh, they felt uh, strongly that one of the ways that they could help um, both promote Christianity and the common good, the flourishing of Raleigh, was through investing in leaders. And so it began a, they began together this work of a, really a program for emerging leaders, for, for uh, leaders in our city or future leaders in our city that would be somewhere in the age of 25 to 40 something in age. And so for the last seven years, uh, the center has been uh, really the, the, the forefront of the center, that the engine of the center, as we call it, is this fellows program where we take 20 to 30 fellows each year, they apply, and then we, we take them through a pretty intense discipleship program. And, uh, and now we have around 130 alumni and uh, in the city, uh, in different sectors, working together. And about three or four years into doing this, we started doing other initiatives. So it was kind of phase two. Now we kind of opened up the doors that so we have public forums. And a lot of it is, you know, kind of it ties into some of the work I'm doing in some of these books, because the way we think about evangelism is often through the side door. We want to have conversations about things like anxiety or happiness or friendship and look at how Christianity offers a vision for these things, these things that people who aren't necessarily Christians want to talk about still. And we say, hey, Christianity has some resources you should reflect on um, as, you're, as you're thinking about your life. So it's, it's a way to talk, again, about, about God 
in a way that uh, a lot of people find kind of existentially relevant through some of the public forums and public events we do at the center. Mm, thank you. That's great. Boy, I love the vision. A lot of resonance with uh, some of the things we do in our fellows programs. So I think um, a lot of our listeners are going to want to check out. I'll, I'll make sure to put some links in the show notes about your center. Um, so let's talk about telling a better story. First of all, I just I just love that image. And that's what we want to be telling people is the gospel is a better story for understanding, handling, living uh, in our very anxious world. Uh, early in uh, the book, actually, it's uh, the, the co-author of, no, I'm sorry, it is in your introduction, you say, um, the aim of these chapters is not to improve your storytelling in general, but rather to model a way to tell God's story as a better story than its rival stories. Tell us more about that. What? Why is the gospel the better story? And, and what are some of those rival stories? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there is, uh, I believe, all humans, because we're made in the image of God, have these features of what, what I call features of personhood. So we want to love and be loved. We are moral beings. We, um, we, we live as, as a friend of mine, uh, Jamie Smith says, we're existential sharks kind of, we're going out and we have to live life and we assume certain things. And so even if we deny meaning, we live as if there is meaning, Mm. um, we sense that there's evil in the world. We sense that something has gone wrong. Yeah. And so there's these, these kind of creational structures in us as humans. And the argument in the book is that everyone lives out a kind of story because we are also storying beings. And lo and behold, the gospel is a story. The Bible is a story that maps on to who we are as creational beings. And so we can often pick up on these these ways people are living life or the ways these things people are pursuing. And we can actually find a kind of connecting points and then we're able to map on the gospel story to that. I don't think this is something that's formed from scripture. I think in fact, this is what we see Paul doing in the Areopagus in Acts mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Right, right. I think Jesus does as he's interacting with um, the Pharisees and the other teachers of his day, they're saying, he, they're, he's saying to them, hey, you're living out a certain story, but it's, it's off. You're not living out the exact right story because you've misunderstood the scriptures. I think this is what John's doing uh, in the opening of his gospel when mm, he's right. the notion of the logos. And he's saying, yes, you're, you're right in some sense in the story you tell about the word. And, and of course, this logos language has some philosophical resonance to, to a larger kind of audience. And he's saying, hey, actually, let me tell you about uh, the kind of rationality behind the universe, who is also a person. And, and so I think you, when you actually s- open your eyes to this, you begin seeing it all across scripture. But of course, the job of the evangelist or the apologist is now to do this in our own context. And so it's modeled for us in scripture, but now we need to figure out what are the storylines and what are pe- how are people pursuing, uh, pursuing life and, and living out their, these features of personhood in our context in the 21st century. 
And that's where I think the creativity needs to come in and we can learn from each other and how to do this more effectively. Mm, good, good stuff. Good stuff. You know, I'm. this is a, an incredibly oversimplistic generalization, but it does feel to me that for a long time, apologetics and evangelism was uh, trying to convince people that our message was true. And today, a shift is more in the direction of um, our message is good. And so the way you say telling a better story, and there are several other people who are articulating the same thing. Now, again, I know that's ridiculously oversimplistic, but I think for a lot of Christians, we need to make a shift from, we, we've got all sorts of arguments to convince people that our, our message is true. And it's just not resonating with non-Christians. They don't, they're, they're not there yet. They're, they're thinking, uh, I, I think your message is bad. I don't, I don't care whether it's true or not. I, I think it's bad for people. It's bad for society. Uh, so you have a whole section toward the end of your book about saying why why this message is good, why it's, why it's a better story. Can you say more about that, about how, how do we tell people this, this message that I'm trying to tell you about? Yes, it's true, and we could talk about that a lot, um, but it's good. Can you, can you tell us about that a little? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's these longings we have as humans that, that are deep inside of us so that we want, for instance, justice. And the Bible tells a story that, yes, actually, you know, God is a God who both holds people accountable and is ultimately going to make all things right. And um, that, understandably, that can also feel scary and make us nervous, but there's something deep inside of humans that want that. And um, so the, the Christian story tells a story of a God who's also concerned about justice. Um, we, we, we desperately want to, to be loved and, and to love. That's, um, and so we go seeking uh, love, but we, we keep seeking it in these places that don't ultimately satisfy. And the gospel tells a story, and the, the Christian story is a story of a God who uh, in the, you know, outside of time has always been a God who exists in, as, as a loving God. And so this idea of love isn't simply some kind of chemical thing. It can't just simply be explained uh, reductionistically uh, and, and, and described simply by science. But there is actually something to this thing we call love mm. beyond mm. the physical beyond us as just kind of physical uh, beings and emotions. There, there's something deeply true about love mm. um, and good about it. And the Christian story says, yes, there is. Um, there's a God who, who loves us and cares about us and has sent his son to die for us. And then, you know, so many of the movies we watch, so many of the stories that we love to tell, even in mm. a secular age, are stories of sacrifice of stories of someone sacrificing their own lives for the people they love. And, um, you know, from Harry Potter to, 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 um, to the Avengers and, and Iron Man, you know, or Tony Stark, I mean, all of these tells that mm-hmm, we, mm-hmm. 
stories of sacrifice. And they all assume that there's actual meaning um, in life. And so the gospel story, uh, as C.S. Lewis has said, it when you, you can look at it, as you were referring to earlier, you can look at it. You can say, what are some of the historical reasons to believe the resurrection? And I think that's um, important and we should do that. But you can also look along the gospel story. Mm, good, good. Yeah. You can look uh, along it and you can see how, oh my goodness, this this makes sense of our of our deepest longings as humans. This makes sense of the world we live in in so many different ways. It, it shines light on our human existence. And I yeah. think both of those are valid. To, and again, I'm building off of Lewis here to look at Christianity, but also to look along it. Yeah. And I think uh, Christian apologetics has, uh, for the last century, done a lot about looking at. I don't think we've done a, enough looking along the Christian story. And, I, and, and that's one of the major points in the book. Is it possible to be a scientist and a person of faith? at the same time? Are Christianity and science at odds with one another? I think there are a whole lot of people in our world who think that. Well, these apologetic questions and others are going to be explored in a pre-recorded interview that we did with scientist and philosopher and mathematician and brilliant mind, Dr. John Lennox. It's going to be on October 21st at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time and Dr. Lennox is gonna examine some of the latest scientific research and theories surrounding questions of the origins of life and concepts of the mind. He will demonstrate why a Christian approach to an understanding of the universe makes the most sense. So if you're a believer who's looking for a way to explain the validity of the Christian worldview to some of your friends who are more scientifically minded or scientifically oriented, this is a really, really important event, and it's free of charge, but you do need to register for it because we'd like to be able to have all those kind of connections in place. So to register for this, please go to www.cslewisinstitute.org slash cosmic-chemistry. We sure hope you can make it for this event. Again, that's October 21st at 8 p.m. in the evening. Oh, I love that. And, and you, you know, that, that, that concept of looking at versus looking along, uh, it's tricky to, to understand. I think you've just articulated really well, but we'll put a link in the show notes about Lewis's article. I think a short, short little uh, article, or it would have been his, uh, our version of a blog today, but, <laughs> but I think it's in his essay, um, Reflections in a Tool Shed. Because right. um, he, he steps into this tool shed and he sees this beam of light and he can look at the beam of light or he could kind of step into it. And now he's looking through or along the beam of light at other things in the room. And um, uh, yes, I think that that is an important uh, a skill we need to develop in, in our day. I think you're touching on this theme you, you mentioned in the book about inside out apologetics or inside out method of expressing the gospel. Can you say some more about the inside out and why it's, why you call it that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
basically there's a lot of um i would say philosophical work um behind this approach um and also practical from from experience so i won't i won't go into all the details about um thinking through some epistemological models or all mm-hmm. the that and i'll just do what i do in the book which is kind of jump straight into it which is mm-hmm. um when you're engaging with somebody um often it seems like we are uh, talking to people who aren't using the same reason we are. <laughs> I just go on Facebook or anywhere and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, we are not in the same ballpark here. <laughs> so the question is, in an age of pluralism, in an age where people think very differently um, uh, about life, how do we even get into these conversations? How do we have productive conversations? And so the approach, and this was in the the previous Tech, more of a textbook that Mark Allen and I wrote together, Projects Across, and then played out here in Telling a Better Story as well, is that is to begin with stepping inside of their story, trying to understand, hey, where do you go to for meaning? Where What's most valuable in your life? Where are you going for love? Asking questions. And the, the simple question that I encourage people to ask is, hey, you know, good to meet you, or I've known you for a long time, but I've never really asked, what's your story? <laughs> you know, if you come in and you say, you know, I've got five proofs for you for the resurrection, they're going to look at you strange, and it's going to feel like a power play, right? I mean, that's just yeah, how right. conversations don't work like that with most humans. And so if you step and say, hey, I want to get to know you, mm-hmm. well, right, there is a kind of countercultural move that you're attending to the other person as a human being. You're showing them respect. You're wanting to understand who they are. And along the way, you can ask questions. You can say, tell me about, um, tell me a little bit more about, you know, uh, your background. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, growing up in a religious family, or I didn't hear anything about, uh, you know, spiritual beliefs. Tell me, do you have any spiritual beliefs? I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know. And, and so you're actually having this conversation and, and along the way, you're looking for these features of personhood and where they're going to find meaning, find life, find love, find joy. And, and then you begin to ask some questions. What often happens in this course of the conversation is they turn to you and, or they turn to me and they say, okay, well, tell me your story. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> right. So all yeah. of a sudden now what we have is a dialogue and someone has just asked me, what is your story? Mm-hmm. Well, there's an opportunity to tell yeah. your story as a sinner saved by grace. And then all of a sudden now we have a conversation um, and it's on, you know, but it hasn't been this kind of boom, let me prove God or let me prove the resurrection. Uh, but it's it's starting inside their story. But then as you're listening to their story, of course, you need to listen for kind of pressure points. Mm, mm-hmm. If they're going, if they're saying, you know, hey, I go to, you know, really my family is the most important thing in the world. Well, say, hey, I, that's wonderful. My family is important too. Um, do you feel a lot of anxiety around your family? Like, mm, you know, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. Things don't go well for your kids. 
I mean, let's talk about that and yeah. say, you know, what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you cope and say, this is how, um, the, the, the Christian story says family is good, but when you make it ultimate, it ultimately leaves you angst filled. It leads, it leads to all these problems. And if they're not actually living up to your expectations for them, they fall apart. That's what idols do. The Bible talks about this thing called idols and idols can be, and there we go. Now we're talking about a doctrine of sin all of a sudden. So it, it's, it, it's not being atheological. It's, it's being able to take your theology to the street, to this person to say, hey, let me explain the gospel in ways you can understand. And so that the gospel all of a sudden begins to make sense. Now, along the way, of course, they might have set different challenges where I can't believe in a God that's this. And then, of course, you're going to try to respond to those challenges as you go. Um, but it's a really a way to get in a conversation. And ultimately, the aim is not to cut them down, not to have them feel stupid and you feel superior, but for you to say, hey, there's this medicine that... Um, that we're broken people, we've turned and we're living wrongly, and there's this medicine that I have found, and I still have plenty of scars, I still have plenty of struggles, but this this person called Jesus has changed my life, and I believe he can change your life. And to point to Jesus as this kind of cure for, for the disease we have. And that's a different type of conversation all of a sudden, now we're talking about even in therapeutic language, or we're talking about even in, um, in in language of human flourishing, that oftentimes people in a therapeutic age are already tracking in. And, and, and of course, Jesus doesn't mind talking in therapeutic language. Um, and so, again, I'm not talking about certain, I think, you know, secular forms of therapy. I'm talking about um, the, the good news, the healing power of the gospel that I think we can tap into. Mm, yes. Oh, so many great insights here, Josh. Thanks. And so I, so again, um, I want to just underline some things. So you yeah. said about inside out approach. So you, you ask them to tell their story and you get inside their story and hear what, how did you say uh, looking for uh, pressure points and pressure, yeah, pressure so, points. It's almost saying, is this, is this working? Or and then maybe sometimes I have to suggest, is it working as good as you think it's working? Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Um, do you have good reason to live this story out? Are there some cracks in your foundation? Those are the types of things I'm trying to identify and then help kind of lead them to see. And sometimes that can be, you know, indirect. Sometimes that can be very direct, depending on the rapport that's built and the way the conversation's going. Uh, you know, some of this is wisdom and conversational skills. Yes. Well, so here, let me, I, I want to jump in for a little bit of uh, this, this mode that I shift into as trainer. I, I want to say to people, because I, I think some people are listening and some people may be um, a bit intimidated, especially when you use the word epistemological a little while ago. I think, I think some people went, wow, that's, so we, you don't have to know what the word epistemological means in order to do this well. You you ask good questions and you get into people's conversation and you look to see those, what are the really big deals in their life? But I, I want to encourage people, um, you can develop conversational skills 
Um, it, it's not that difficult, but some of us really need to work on this. And what I want to encourage people is develop your conversational skills talking about other lighter things first before you go jumping into the world of epistemology. Um, so just get to know people. Where are you from? What was that like to grow up in Indiana? And uh, how has that been moving from wherever you did to here? And what are some of the most exciting parts of your job? And just to become really curious and, and even ask the Lord, Lord, make me curious about people. Make me caring. And I want to hear what are the big deals in their lives. And I have to tell you, I've, I've prayed that prayer a lot because my, my natural sinful default mode is, is not caring about people. Uh, I care about my agenda, and I, I care about talking about me, <laughs> which is probably evident right now in this conversation that I'm doing so much talking. But um, I, I think we can ask the Lord, give me ears to hear. Give me a heart that wants to care deeply about people. Um, so, uh, again, your, your approach is really helpful. Yes, go ahead jump in. And I think what you're getting at is really, you're really getting at issues of spiritual formation. And I think this is really important because sometimes we want to have, uh, you, you know, if you're listening to this and you're really into apologetics, it, it, you might be this, you, this is maybe where you're kind of, you might fall. The danger zone is for you is that you've so separated spiritual formation from apologetics and apologetics that there's, there's actually, you're losing what I would say is one of the most powerful apologetics, which is being a person of virtue, being a person of the spirit. And so I think because we've separated those, they're taught in different courses uh, in our, if you've gone to seminary, they're not in the same course, right? So <laughs> we're here to make arguments. Here we're here to be conformed to the image of Christ. But I would actually say um, being the right type of person, mm-hmm. being a person who cares, being a person who's attentive, attentive to other people and treats them with respect is the central apologetic. <laughs> um, and and, and, and I see this as so crucial, not only to being someone of wisdom, but being someone who that person says, oh, my goodness, I, I could see myself. I, I wish I was like that person. Mm, boy, I, boy, I, I wish I was a non-anxious presence. I wish that I cared about other people. And I think that only by kind of actually, and I mentioned idols before, dealing with their own idols, being in a community of people like this in a church where you're, where you are actually learning to attend to people who, who aren't hostile to the faith, but who are, who are, who are actually just your brothers and sisters in Christ learning to attend to them and to hear their stories is like the training ground for being the right type of apologist. So I, mm-hmm. I, I really believe we've got to bring these things back together uh, in the church. Yes, we need rigorous training, absolutely, as in the skills of apologetics, but we need also to be people who look and live differently. And that's um, that's the long haul of, of, of being in the church together and this kind of hospital for sinners that we're inviting people into, but also the, the hospital that we ourselves are being healed and transformed within. 
What is spiritual warfare and does it really matter or does it really affect my everyday life? You know, C.S. Lewis in his introduction to the Screwtape Letters said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Isn't that brilliant? Well, we're doing an event about spiritual warfare with our good friend and C.S. Lewis scholar, Jerry Root. Dr. Jerry Root was professor for many years at Wheaton. Now he's professor emeritus at Wheaton College. And if you were fortunate enough to be at Wheaton and study under Jerry Root, you know that he is brilliant and a delight to listen to. One story after another and brilliant insight. And he's doing a special event for us uh, about spiritual warfare. This one is an in-person event. So if you're in the Washington DC area, if you're interested in learning more about spiritual warfare, if you follow Jerry Root or if you're a Wheaton alumni, this event is for you. It's on Friday, September 23rd at 7.30 p.m. It's gonna be at Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church in Annandale. There is a cost for this event, it's $10 per person. And there will be a question and answer period following uh, Dr. Root's presentation. We'll also have light refreshments, and uh, we really hope you can make it. We're really eager to have Jerry Root with us once again. Uh, please register for the event, www.cslewisinstitute.org forward slash spiritual dash warfare dash event. <laughs> um, don't let the devil discourage you from, discourage, from registering just because this URL is so terribly long. Uh, if you go to our website, I don't think it'll be hard to find the Spiritual Warfare event. Please register. Once again, that's September 23rd at 7.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, as you're speaking, I'm, I'm remembering back, oh, I don't know how many, many, many years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote about love as the ultimate apologetic, right? Is it, or did he, did he call it the final apologetic or the ultimate? Uh, it's our strongest apologetic. And, and yet we have, we have made this dichotomy or this separation of, okay, I want to be able to articulate truth. And I also want to be a godly, loving, compassionate person. Well, what, why did we put those in two separate categories? Um, and so, yes, we want to be being transformed to be the, the kind of people who are caring and loving and listening and concerned. Um, so um, I, I also love that uh, your statement about um, the way you worded it. Uh, you know, hey, I, you know, we've known each other for a long time, and yet I, I've never really heard your story or never really heard, uh, you know, what are the really big deals in your life? I think that that can be a great beginning or transition for a lot of people's conversations. A lot of us have known people for so long. In fact, we've known them so long that we just assume that we know each other's stories, but we probably don't. And even if we do, that story keeps changing and evolving in people's lives. So we want to hear what's what's the latest chapter in that story. Um, so you, you've given us a lot of very, very helpful things. Um, I, I do want to kind of uh, wrap this up. Uh, any other any other thoughts you're thinking of? Um, how do we talk about God in a skeptical age? How do we tell that better story? Yeah, I I, I think that 
uh, I mentioned a line earlier, which is a non-anxious presence. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think that's a, a kind of posture when we're doing this in that I think for some of us, we've, we, you know, we've got to, we come in and it's like, we've, I've got to be in control of this situation. And so even some forms of evangelism and apologetics have given us this impression that, okay, I've, I've got to control and I've got to be five steps ahead and I've, I'm going to lead them in an alley. And you know, you know what? People can feel that they, (laughs) right. Like if you're trying to control them, you know, a lot of people, especially in their you know younger age, they're going to hold on to their wallets, right? They are <laughs> they see that coming a mile away because everyone is always trying to sell them something. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, and so they can feel that, and I and I just want to say, you know, recognizing that, hey, ultimately God must work here, um, the Spirit must work, and I'm not on the hook to give to just kind of give every possible thing I know or handle every possible objection or, or, oh my goodness, if they say something and I don't know what to say, oh, it's over. No, that's, that's not how this works, right? That's not, and, and people aren't simply converted because they have really high IQs and can follow all the arguments. Mm. And so I just want to say, like, take a step back and say, okay, I'm in this conversation. Lord, as you were saying, being prayerful and saying, hey, tell me about yourself. And I, I just think we've got to leave space here for, um, yeah, you want to be bold. There's there's moments to be bold. There's times to be bold. But um, I think part of this kind of, I think, humble boldness means just maybe it's one good question. Maybe it's one good question. And then letting them kind of talk and work that out. And then as they're talking, thinking, what's 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 a good question to keep this going and i again i i think i'm not at all suggesting that we, we're not bold um and we don't ask hard things or there's not a time to be uh to, to push back and be critical of what someone is suggesting i think we need those rigorous skills but this kind of sometimes we get into these things where we feel like we've got to control the situation and i I'm, I'm, I'm just think step back on that a little bit and say, this is a dialogue. So I don't know where the dialogues are going. It's like, think about when you try to control conversations with your spouse, for those of you who are married, like for me, my wife's like, listen, stop. <laughs> you know, I want to talk. You're talking to me not you know, it's, you know, turn off bad apologist mode and talk to me as a human. <laughs> and, I, and I think that a lot of times in conversations, people, when they're talking to apologists, would like to say that if they if they knew what was going on. You know, they're just thinking, think, like, stop bad salesman mode right now and treat me as a person. And <laughs> and and so, hey, let's let's equip up. Right. Let's let's know arguments. Let's be ready to use them. But we've got to learn to use them in a way that the person actually says, yeah, I want that. And yeah, that makes sense. And I could see myself actually converting <laughs> rather than just kind of walk, walking away, um, feeling like you've controlled and you've, you know, you've stumped them, but they, you know, think what a, what a jerk and they walk away. That, that, mm. um, so, so I just, I, I, we need to think carefully about how we're actually having these kinds of conversation and using our arguments. Yeah. 
Oh, you know, there's there's several little phrases you've used that I again I want to underline because I I don't want our listeners just to have that fly by. You you just said about humble boldness. Uh, that's a great picture. It is a boldness, but it is wrapped in a humility. And it's wrapped in a trust that God will use this, uh, no matter how skilled I was at articulating it. And then you also use this phrase, a non-anxious presence. Oh my, what a, what a great image that is. Lord, help me to step into these conversations so that I can be a non-anxious presence and really focused uh, on the other person. Um, so this is this is really helpful stuff, Josh. I really am appreciative of it. I, I want to bring this to a close by by uh, reading a couple of sentences of your own book to you, which may be weird, um, and then uh, you could make some comments afterwards. But I I love this. Toward the end of it, you're you're wrapping things up. You said this book has been about our stepping into the stories, forming their our friends and outsiders their imaginations and shaping their desires to offer Christian reading on their anxieties, fears, hopes, and joys. It has also been about asking unbelievers to try on the Christian story to see how it actually makes sense of their experiences and how it speaks to their deepest aspirations and longings. That is brilliant and helpful wisdom in there. So final thoughts, anything else you want to add as we wrap this up? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I've made the case early on in the in the podcast that this is biblical, really briefly, um, mm-hmm. and it's practical. Also, just will add because of some of my other um, projects I'm working on and, and actually just finished up that I think this is um, is actually deep within the tradition of the church. Um, and if if you look at, for instance, Augustine, um, Saint Augustine's work from the fourth and beginning of fifth century, in his famous book confessions where he he's framing his intellectual journey but he frames it in that he has this rest this restlessness and it's ultimately yes he goes through these he tries on different different belief systems world world and life views but at the end of the day he comes back and he tries on christianity and he finds peace Mm. And and also would say he's doing something like that except uh of, to the empire, to uh, and in his in his magnum opus apologetic book, which is the city of God, where he's he's actually trying on for people these different options in their day, and then he turns to Christianity and he narrates that story. And so, our challenge is is that even so, this is modeled. I would argue. Uh, at the fountainhead of the Western tradition, Augustine, um, this is modeled in scripture. Our job is to say, okay, we have these models. How do we do it for the 21st century? How do we do it for our context? How do we do it for our neighborhoods? And this is where we need each other. And this is where we can work together to, to be more effective at sharing the good news and bringing hope in a time that definitely needs it. Hmm. Okay well summed up for us. I I think we need to have you back and do a whole discussion about Augustine's City of God. I think think you're exactly right. There's so much in there that we need to uh, adapt and connect to our world. But we'll save that for another conversation. Another, and that'll be another very important question that matters. 
thanks for being uh, my guest. Thank you, listeners, for uh, checking us out. Um, please visit our website, cslewisinstitute.org. We just recently uh, revamped it. We hope we've made it uh, more user-friendly. And uh, we hope that all of our resources, this podcast included, will help you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thanks again. We here at the C.S. Lewis Institute are delighted to tell you um, our newly redesigned website has been given an award. We're an early winner of the Gold Award by the .com Awards uh, Agency. Uh, They uh, hand out very few of these awards for excellence in web creativity and digital communication. This year's competition was had entrants from 2,500 entries or, or even more, designers, developers, content producers. I mean, it was it was amazing, and we are so very grateful that we were given this award. Uh, we thank you uh, for your prayers for this ministry and support for our ministry. This uh, redesign took a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of money. And we would love for you to be joining us as a financial supporter of our ministry for paying for these kinds of things, and also the great materials that we produce and the events that we do. So please prayerfully consider, if you're not a regular monthly supporter of our ministry, we'd love to have you as a partner in that way. Um, Or if it's only uh, uh, occasional gifts, we take those too. But we really need uh, your help So we hope that you can go to our website, cslewisinstitute.org forward slash give. Thanks.